everyone and welcome to ESG Explored, the podcast that talks to people about how they are managing their environmental, social and governance factors in their business and how they are identifying the risks and embracing the opportunities. In this episode, my co-host Dr John Roscush and I will be joined by Mary Delahunty, who established an ESG specialist consultancy business, Seven Advisory, out of her experience in the corporate and government roles. For the sharp listeners out there, you may pick up that Mary and I are sisters. So in all fairness, I will be letting John ask the first question later on because he may not get another word in for the rest of the time. So hi, Mary. Welcome to ESG Explored. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, that'll be good. I'll get I'll get the chance to get my uh, question in right away. Um <laughs> So, Mary, I guess what is it? I asked to, to have you on board fairly early because what I wanted to do was to um, get to people to think about the bigger picture before we dive into some of the details with some of the other guests that we have. So um, I get a lot of businesses that I've talked to who are just a little bit confused at the moment about how all this fits into their operation. So now you've been working in this impact investment and ESG performance space for quite a while now. So how important do you see aligning the purpose with actions? So thanks, John, and um, thanks for having me. It's really, it is a confusing area for people, I think, to wade into, and we're really good at using acronyms um, just to continue that confusion, I think. Many, many years ago, and I'm sure you will have explored this already when the concepts of E and S and G were put together, they were cobbled together because they were relatively new ways to think about risk, business risk, three new sets of business risks. And since that time, we've sort of described it as a homogenous sort of moving feast. And I think that's only added to the confusion, really. So if you think about, if you think about, um, the way in which businesses assess risk at the moment, um, they will will naturally sort of weave their purpose into that. But I think what's happened recently is that stakeholders, so um, community members, employees and people in the ecosystem of the businesses are more expecting um, corporate Australia and around the world to wear that kind of purpose on their sleeve. So a company purpose I think is more and more expected regardless of the size of the corporation certainly expected in developed nations these days and led usually by the Europeans and our Nordic friends who are um, pretty good at understanding, I think, and weaving in what it means to be a genuine uh, stakeholder-first sort of organisation. And that's the pressure that Australian organisations will be seeing at the moment. So ESG as a subset of that um, is a is a consideration of risks that uh, affect the broader community. They are consideration of externalities that um, more and more consumers and people in the uh, in the broader ecosystem will expect businesses to be alive to. So let's let's just bring in something here. So let's talk about small businesses. Um, I know the corporates have opportunities to manage this uh, internally um, or you know involve people like yourself to come and help them. Um, but this, I think the small businesses, um, you know, whether it's um, the local town in the local town, how would they be looking at this? Because they're going to be, they're going to come under pressure from um, 
from their suppliers, you know, um, and uh, and they're also going to become under pressure from their, you know, sort of bigger customers. So if they're supplying somebody, I don't know, might be doing the Olympics or something for the moment, how is that, how are they going to manage, how should they be probably thinking about this? I think smaller organisations almost have a better understanding of how they impact the world around them and how the world around them impacts their business because they're closer to all the components of their business than a large corporation is. And this is not to talk myself out of any consultancy work because obviously everyone needs a consultant. But, uh, but, but genuinely, if you think about it, a small uh, business that's been operating in its local community, especially rurally, operates already with a stakeholder point of view, a stakeholder mindset. But larger organisations, they struggle to get closer and closer to their community. And that's why you'll see, you know, organisations the size of the likes in the ASX 100 who will really employ and go to greater and greater lengths to describe their social purpose. Whereas um, Joe's Hardware Store down the lane, uh, that's terribly dinky off me, isn't it? Joe's Hardware (laughs) Store down the lane, they already know how to serve their local community. They know how to sponsor their local sporting team. They know exactly what their supply chain is doing and they um, they know the environmental impact that they want to have. So I think my advice to small organisations is to not be confused by the examples that are set by the larger corporations. What matters is a genuine um, respect for stakeholders around you and an understanding of the risks that your business faces, what it puts out into the world and what comes back into it from the world. So that's, so let's say you're looking at your environmental footprint, mm. you know, that can be sometimes easier to count as a small business than a large one. Um, supply chain in modern slavery again, and your governance arrangements much easier to set a threshold on than a large business would find. So they're going to be asked questions possibly from other businesses around them. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just about to say, I think it's around that supply chain part, Mary, for um, small to mediums, isn't it? So knowing their role and where they sit in that. So you're right in that they often have operated in their in their community. So that is part of where knowing their community and being representative of their community. But if they are part of a supply chain, is knowing all that factors might be one of the key things that they can start looking at. Yeah, so if you think about what the risk is that sits under the S umbrella, and some people bring different things into this, it's the one um, set of risks and opportunities that I think organisations struggle with the most because there's a lot of data on environmental um, Mm. risk and opportunity and governance I see as a more of a threshold issue, as in do you have this arrangement or don't you? So the S becomes this kind of nebulous black hole of, well, very subjective, I suppose, sets of ethics and morals. But one of the things that um, small organisations or medium-sized organisations will be um, contending with is that they will be being asked questions of larger organisations who perhaps have either identified a set of risks that they believe falls under the S umbrella, like, like labour rights, like supply chain risk, like the risk of modern slavery, and they will be um, asking everyone within their chain to um, supply data 
to enable them to assess that risk. And so it it runs back up the mm-hmm. um, the chain of organisations. And so smaller to medium-sized businesses will be having to prove that they operate in certain ways that they may not have had to ever contend with before. Um, modern slavery is a good example of this, I think. So the Modern Slavery Act coming into force asks um, companies or re- requires of companies over a $100 million threshold, revenue threshold, to... Um, to supply a modern slavery statement every year and that statement is a statement of the board and you have to look through your operations and supply chain to understand whether or not you've got um, modern slavery risk within those two areas of your organisation. So you can see how that's going to trickle down into smaller parts of the business. But I think um, it's it would be sort of a perverse outcome if we started requiring small and medium enterprises to have these massive data sets that really doesn't serve them and doesn't get to the heart of the risk. Um, it's important to understand that that modern slavery risk is um, perhaps more apparent in certain industries and more apparent in certain geographies. And so just being able to um, sort of stay out of those is yeah. helpful to the risk as well. I think um, I think when you were talking about that, I was I was thinking about how people are embracing that um, the adaptation of this as a way of looking at their organisation and looking at their their purpose and their their ethics about how they want to operate. Um, and you work with businesses of all sizes. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that adaptation? Like, are they embracing it more? Is there a resistance? Are they looking at it from a risk perspective, Mary, or are they looking at it as that holistic? How do we operate? What's our place in this? Um, and what do we want to be known as? I think, um, yes, it's a very exciting question because everyone's doing it differently. <laughs> so, as they should, really. Yeah. Um, so, for example, some of my um, the people that I work with most often are large, what we would call institutional investors. Um, so, super funds and um, or internationally we call them pension funds, but... Um, what I love about the way in which uh, those big players are um, using the subsets of ESG is in this way we call um, universal ownership. So if you can imagine a large superannuation fund and it's um, got a set a net zero target on the portfolio, so that means that, you know, by a certain time period, let's say 2050, they want a net zero um result for carbon emissions across the entire portfolio that they own. But then you think about what does a super fund actually do? They own the economy. Yeah. Superannuation in Australia is worth $3 trillion. So it's there's, there is no actual way to mitigate the risk of climate change on the portfolio by just exiting stocks from the portfolio. So you cannot actually sell your way to a cleaner world. Mm. So what they have to do instead is clean the world. Yeah. And so that's when you get to this embracing of purpose yeah. as active ownership. And that's you will have seen that played out in, in AGL recently. Yeah. Um, every time now an active investor uh, casts a vote at an AGM for a director, against a director, for a, uh, a remuneration report, against a company strategy, they're, they're all um, exercising active ownership because they are a universal owner. Australian super funds of that size own the economy. 
And so that's one end of the spectrum, you know, of how do we actually um, embrace the concept of ESG, take it beyond a risk lens and into this is what we do. So the actions. Um, and it's material to members' yeah. returns. Pardon? The actions that you're talking about. And, yeah, so putting that those sorts of things, those big concepts, those big actions, those big um, ways of operating into an action that will have an impact aligning with purpose. And at the other end of the spectrum, I work with a few startup companies and they're super fun because, you know, they've got people with these very wide eyes and put their entire house on the line for this cracking idea that they've had. Um, and they come to their business with a um, purpose first, impact first yep. sort of methodology. So I'm working, for example, with a, um, a group of people who have started up a radio station for women because women's voices are underrepresented in um, in mainstream radio. And it's a commercial proposition, but it's got an impact lens to it. And so... You need to give them a plug, Mary. Give them a plug. Oh, Broad Radio. <laughs> Get onto Broad Radio. Um, and, and they're so, good. And someone said, it's, like, it's triple N, but for women. And you think, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's so triple W. They, triple W. Triple W. <laughs> yeah. So they're, um, their very ethos, even though it's commercial proposition, is that there is a gap in the social marketplace. Hmm. Um and I, I really, I quite like that as just the other end of the spectrum. We don't, um, that they don't have a, you know, we own the economy kind of approach like the big super funds, but, but they do have an understanding that consumers will choose um, purpose more and more. Uh, and I see that constantly. Yeah. So, I, and I, I do actually quite like also to work with a real carrot, not a stick approach to describing purpose as well, <laughs> especially for smaller organisations. Genuinely, most of them want to do good things and they understand their place in the world. Yeah. And so highlighting that 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 purpose, knowing that sometimes impact and purpose is a bit of a game of whack-a-mole as well. You can't do everything all the time, uh, but you can do what you set out to do really well. I heard and, a really and that has a knock-on effect. Yeah, I heard a really good thing today when I was listening to something, and it was um, collective acting, and one plus one equals three. And it may appeal to me because how hopeless I am at maths, but one plus one equals three. So if we're all doing something, each one of us, we get this great outcome. So one plus one equals three with this uh, that collective acting of taking that approach and. Um, you know, seeing a need, filling the need around and highlighting that need. So around that um, that gap in the market of, of women's voices being heard is a, is a really good example of that, I think. Um, yeah. I'd like to, yeah. um, you know, let's say we've got a beer company um, and so is, is beer going to necessarily do great things to the world? I don't know. But in that company, they, they're going to do, you know, 100% recyclable packaging um, completely reuse their water and their labour standards will be second to none. Mm. And so you think, okay, let's highlight those three things. Let's verify them. Let's make sure they're authenticated because there's there's nothing worse than inauthentic impact. <laughs> let's make sure it's authenticated. And then that, that um, knock-on effect of you, you know, treating everyone in the labour uh, in, in, within your supply chain well, 
will help them understand their rights and insist on being treated well in other places that they work as well. So there is genuine, um, you know, pay it forward impact on little <laughs> ideas like that. Yeah. I'm going to get a word in here, right? Uh, well, you better be quick. <laughs> I know, because um, this is not the station where you have a problem with women's voices being heard. <laughs> so, but, Mary, I just want to talk about, because this brought to mind, um, where you have, you know, this sort of tokenism and, and greenwashing. It's a temptation. It's a temptation for business. What's the risk? for a medium-sized business that, that says, oh, look, I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon and produce something that looks good, but, you know, I don't really... When They have no way of actually demonstrating that. Death. Death is a risk. Mm. And it'll come in different forms. Um, so when you, at a, at a very philosophical level, as a brand or an organisation, and when you invite and indeed insist that people, consumers, stakeholders, employees, etc., judge you on your values and you do not uphold them, then you will not survive. Okay. And and you don't deserve to. So integrity and authentic impact is, I think, um, critical. And the consumers that are coming through uh, now uh, are already quite cynical um, of when organisations uh, tell them, you know, how wonderful they are. And so it's, it's, it is, um, I think, of critical importance that um, businesses are very careful in the way in which they analyse their own um, words and messaging. Now, the risk itself is actually um, that of misleading and deceptive conduct. If, if you're in trade or commerce, so you're, you know, at the risk of mis-selling. Um, and so that will come from consumer action, that might come from regulate, regulator action. And the examples that you can see where that um, it has been playing out in other jurisdictions is, uh, let's say, the US, where there's a lot more um, consumer action or class actions and securities class actions when the company is listed. And in the in European context where the, the taxonomy and the regulators are actually a little stronger, you see regulator action against um, misleading and deceptive conduct or their equivalent of misleading and deceptive conduct. So Australia has um, both of those systems in play. I would say that perhaps the consumer activism is a little higher than the regulators, but we have a, um, a new federal government who will look to um, bring some standardisation to some of the claims and I think then you'll see both those elements rising. Um, and so it's it's quite a tricky area to negotiate at the moment. Yeah, because yeah. I would say that most people, it's they will sail close to the wind a little bit, you know, and, and my thinking is they need to take some care in what statements they put out or what, what they advertise um, or what's that? Not so much misleading customers as just giving the sense that they're doing something green or they're doing some, you know, tokenism is another one that I see sometimes. And I think that's something where uh, I think that's a customer risk, probably more so than maybe a legal risk. Is that reputational? Mm, possibly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, reputation risk is um, is really high in these heightened, I think, in these areas. 
but it's also there's not um obviously you don't have to have the intent to mislead either mm. um and and boards and organizations ought to have a mind to the shifting sands as well so uh, statements that might have been okay you know a couple of years ago might now have a a more intrinsic implied meaning to them um even words such as impact or um well, we can look at an um, ongoing case in the US at the moment over an Australian company called Bondi Sands, who were all, you know, those of us with um, Irish skin like me quite quite pleased with in the summertime. It turns me nice and orange. Um, they, they also have sunscreen. They claim on their packaging um, a little tagline that says reef friendly. Um, and they're currently... Uh, fighting a class action in the US on the basis of those words. So it, it, things can move as well, and it's um, it's important to keep your eye on whether or not just retesting some of the statements that you've used in the past that seemed okay at the time. Um, has the zeitgeist moved enough that that now has an implied meaning, and should we um, be either defining that or using a different um, set of language to to say what we mean i think that comes yeah, back I'm to your good gov- yeah i think that comes back to your good governance part in that mary doesn't it like your good governance should be doing those regular checks what's our communication around different things how have we been managing that again it's at risk um that re-looking at things what how have we positioned our company how have we positioned what we're talking about it's just that refresh of of um again purpose and um, impact on on what we and what they're saying, Mary. This has been absolutely fantastic. One of the key things I take away from this was that if you're a small business, it's not time to hit the padding button. Uh, that you can manage this, and I think that's really great. Um, there will be, I mean, we will have other things where people will talk about lots of other issues, but I think it's great having that message to begin with. Yeah, it's not something to be um, afraid of. And I think we can all learn a lot from the way in which small business has always operated um, across the globe as to how you treat communities well and by communities that includes the environment that you work in, the stakeholders that you look after and the way that you've set your business up, which is E, S and G. Simple. Thanks, Mary. We all know what good looks like and that's um, that's when you see it you know it and that's what businesses are trying for so i really appreciate your time it's um quite late for us to be doing this one uh, tonight so i do appreciate that um thanks for discussing the ways that people can view esg a little differently and a little more positively and aligning it with their purpose so obviously if anyone wants to know more about the work of seven advisory and the work that mary's doing pop online, search it in, and it'll um, have a look at the services on offer for businesses large and small. Thanks so much, Mary. Really appreciate it. Queensland Trust for Nature and ESG Explored acknowledge the traditional owners on the country throughout Australia, their diverse and continuing connections to the land, sea and community. We acknowledge they were the first conservationists and scientists and have cared for this land for their future generations. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening today.